Yes. Thanks, Steve. Hmm. So I want to begin today, uh, uh, if you were here to hear the reading, it is, it's quite a four chapters. It is uh, the language, the imagery, everything is getting uh, more and more intense, more and more colorful. It is, uh, Revelation is getting wild, let's just say that. Um, so before we get to it, in our theme for today, which is judgment, uh, I want to bless you. It's funny that Mike brought that up. I'd like to bless you first. And the blessing I tend to use at the end of service comes from Numbers. It's the priestly blessing that the Lord commands Aaron to, to speak over his people. So to begin, can I just bless you? Would you, would you close your hands, or your eyes, open your hands? And I just want to bless you. Father God, in this blessing, I pray that uh, before the blessing, that you would, that we would know your face, we'd know your smile, that we would know your gaze, that we would know your presence. So Father, I bless our third church family, those who are here and those who are at home. I say the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you this day and give you peace. So I place your name, God, on these people. I pray you will bless them. Amen. So the reason I wanted to do that was, uh, we're talking about judgment today. We're talking about judgment and worship. And uh, uh, that blessing, if you, you hear it, when, I, when you, that blessing is spoken over us and placed on us, what happens is the Lord turns his face towards us, towards you. It says, Lord, turn your face upon them. Be gracious to them. Lord, shine on them. Look at them. Look at these people. So in that moment, what's happening in the blessing is the Lord is putting special attention on you. The question today for me, to you, and to myself is, will we give it back? He is looking at us. He has given us his attention. Will we give him our attention? So we're gonna get into judgment. Can you give me slide number four here in just a moment? But to get into judgment, to answer the question of how long, we find that the answer is revealed in worship. Our worship. And you'd argue pretty, pr pretty well that Revelation is a book built on worship. In Revelation 1, we find out who we worship. It concludes with who we worship. In Revelation 4 and 5, it's a, it's a, it's a room full of worship. There's worship in Revelation 7, Revelation 11. There's a worship in Revelation 15. Just worship all the way through. So the theme, it seems, of Revelation is not what's going to happen at the very end. The theme is who do you worship? Who do you, who do I give my attention to? Because worship's kind of a hard word. What does that mean exactly? Worship is attention. Committed, direct, focused attention. So as we look at a world that is bananas and it's getting crazier and crazier, we did a volunteer night a while back and uh, we asked the question, what are five things you've heard Kevin Corver say the most from the stage? And one of them was fasten your seatbelts. And some of you know that. You think it's crazy? Just Wait. In Revelation, the judgments are increasing in, uh, in power. A third of the world's destroyed. A fourth is destroyed. Then all of it. There's this, there's this increasing intensity. 
as we move towards the end. And in the midst of that intensity, the question is to this church, this really, really small church in Turkey, who has your attention? Who do you worship? And so you see, I think we think, when we think of worship, we, we, we compartmentalize it just to this place. That's not true, right? I remember this story. I was a young pastor over at Celebrate, and it just stuck with me. Uh, we worship all kinds of things. Our attention is given to lots of different things. And the story went like this. It was a football game, uh, mid-2000s, in a place called Death Valley, which I think is where LSU plays. And it was a big game, top 10 teams, national championship stakes. And the announcer is just watching this game unfold. 100,000 people going ballistic. They've been there the whole day because it's the night game, which means you started tailgating the day before. A whole weekend of attention. And the announcer listening to the roar of the crowd says, make no mistake, worship happens here. So I think we actually worship really easily. I wrote it down. We say oftentimes as disciples of Jesus, we want to, um, what was the phrase a while back? Uh, that we would naturally, easily, almost automatically just do the things that Jesus does. I think that we naturally, easily, automatically worship things. We give attention to things, committed attention. So my question, I'm asked this myself, so I want you to think about the things that you have given committed attention to in life. I want to give you a second. Think back on your life. What kinds of things have you given your attention to? Have you given so much attention to because you thought that thing, that person, that place, that role, those dollars, that win, would fill something that you know is not full. What have you given your attention to in life? I want to give you a second to think about it. It's easy to do the church thing. Now, let's think about it for a moment. Because we're going to find that in the text today, the Lord is going to judge all of those things. What have we given our attention to? What have we built seasons of our life upon? How did it go? Did it do the thing that you were hoping for? Yes or no? So I'm gonna ask you at the end. So whatever came to your mind, what have you given committed attention to, fixated on? We're gonna come back to it at the end. So put it on a shelf somewhere else. But today is all about worship. Revelation's all about worship. And today the Lord is going to address the things that we have given our worship to. You know, it's funny. In a, so that's broad. But we come here to worship, correct? We come here to get realigned. And I was reading a book, and the person said, when you're in worship, it feels like you're not doing anything, right? If someone came into our church who didn't know Jesus, who didn't know what church was about, and saw us singing, facing a screen, with our hands in the air, they'd say, what are they even doing? 
Don't they know there's a lot of stuff going on in the world out there they should be fixing or doing? Things that we could uh, be fighting for, right? It feels like in worship, we don't do anything. And the person wrote, let me give you a, let you know, a little secret. You're not. When we worship, our eyes are fixed on the one who does everything. We aren't doing anything. He is. So as you look at all these things in life, all these things that we worry about, that we strive after, that we worship and give our attention to, when we come here in this room, what we're saying is when we worship God, when we fix our eyes on him, it says that you are in charge of all of those things. And then we can go back out in the world and partner with him. But in worship, we don't do anything. Isn't that kind of weird to think about? That really got me. Our, our worship matters. Our words matter. We do get realigned with him. But what we're saying is, God, you are God and I am not. And we do it every single week. That's why it's important to come here and be here, I think. I can worship online, but it is different. Can I say that? Being here with you, smelling the incense. Sometimes when we worship, I'll stop singing and I'll turn my ear so I can listen to y'all. You sound really good. But listening to you worship, it does something to me. It brings worship out of me. It helps realign me. So being here with you aligns me with God. So thank you for doing that for me. I hope it does the same thing for you. So today as we tackle judgment, we're gonna talk about worship. And why are we gonna talk about worship? Well, because that's what St. John does. So if you would, we should open your Bibles to Revelation 15. Page 1,225. So as you're turning, there have been seven unsealings. There's been seven trumpets. There were seven messages. There were seven visions of beasts and different things. Now we're coming to the seven bulls. And what is inside the bulls? You'll see in a moment, they're plagues. So John is going to direct our attention somewhere in the Old Testament here in just a moment, okay? That's why we're talking about worship as we talk about judgment. So this is Revelation 15. So I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues. When I say plagues, for those who have been in church for a while, what story do you think of? Yell it out. Exodus. Yes, excellent. I'll tell, if you don't know the story, I'll tell a little more about it in just a moment. So there's plagues. So he's alerting us to something. Go down a little bit further in verse uh, three. Then he sees people, people who are victorious, and they're holding harps given to them by God, and they sang the song of who? Moses. Plagues. Moses. A song. The song is actually from Deuteronomy 32. That's Moses. So before the plagues take place, before the bowls are poured out and the plagues happen, what happens? The people of God worship. So I didn't know this. This was brought to my attention very recently. But I was in the story of, of, uh, of, uh, of the Exodus. And uh, do you know why the plagues happened? 
Because we always say to cross the Red Sea to, you know, to, to, for, to bring the people to the promised land. But, but what, what, what is Moses' original ask when he goes to Pharaoh? If you turn to page 58, if you want to. Moses returns to Egypt after he's had an encounter with God to go be his mouthpiece to bring the people out of Egypt. Moses and Aaron, chapter five, go to Pharaoh and say, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so they can hold a festival, so they can worship me. Let my people go so they can worship me. He has heard their cries, which we'll get to in just a moment. And he's point, he wants to draw them out of a place where they have been enslaved for 400 years. Can you imagine that? That means that my parents were slaves and their 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 parents were slaves. Of people who have been enslaved for 400 years, the Lord has heard their cries, finally, and is going to draw them out to do what? To worship. And the plagues that ensue, what did all the plagues do, if you remember? So if you don't know the story, there's too much of the story. If you don't know the story, God sends 10 plagues, 10 judgments on this empire of Egypt, on this king named Pharaoh who believed himself to be God. And all the plagues, they targeted certain lowercase g gods, certain things that the people in the area were prone to worship. So the Lord systematically through his judgments of these lowercase g gods destroys them. What is he doing? He's saying, I am the only one who is worthy of worship. And I want you to come be with me. Worship me, give me your attention. But as we just read in uh, Numbers, you already have mine. So come away from those things that are destructive. Come and worship. Can you give me slide number six? No, don't do that yet. Give me slide number four. So the judgments are in response to, in Revelation 6, the people crying out, how long? How long do we live in this world like this? How long are there wars in Ukraine? How many times is there a war in the Middle East? How long do horrible things happen? How long is there stuff like, for some reason I'm going to say, For how long will people be fixed to devices where they watch all kinds of horrible, degrading, icky, gross things? How long do we deal with things like cancer and death? How long is there racism? How long is there bigotry? How long is there pride and selfishness? How long? So throughout Revelation, the people of God are saying, how much longer, how much longer? 
And then right here, the Lord says, I will make everything right. And the reason I'm going to make it right, which I think everybody longs for, is so that you can come and worship with me. Worship me, give me your attention, I'll give you my attention forever. So it sounds like when you hear the plagues, when you hear, when you hear words like judgment, we have an icky feeling. We don't like judgment a whole lot. I like to give judgment, I like to receive judgment. So now give me slide number six. So I've read some people who have taught about Revelation and God sounds mad. He sounds uh, just like an angry God who's just destroying everything. But there's a difference between irrational rage and holy wrath. So if you go back to the story of the Exodus, you have a, an empire who has enslaved a people for no good reason for 400 years. Did you know when the people of God first came to Egypt, they were prosperous and they blessed the region? Did you know that? But a king came along who was fearful and he thought, no, I think it's better if we enslave these people to give me what I want, what we want. We can't trust them. So they're enslaved for no good reason, for 400 years, and then God gives that same kingdom 10 tries, 10 plagues to change, to repent, to turn, to be different. God is really, 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 really patient, which is a really good thing for me. There's nothing irrational about what God is doing. He is slowly allowing these judgments to happen, hoping that something shifts and changes inside of us. But the problem is, is that we oftentimes do not turn. Pharaoh does not turn. He doesn't change. Even at the very end, if you continue the story, people of God get away. They're gone. He's rid of this problem but he still chases them down to try to catch them one more time, and that's what actually destroys him. You see, when God, in, when he brings judgment, in the Old Testament, usually you talk about justice and righteousness. Justice restored things, and righteousness was right relationships. So when God came with his judgment, it's because he was bringing justice, he was bringing restoration, and righteousness of right relationships. That is a holy wrath. That is different than me. I have irrational rage. I lash out. My judgment, the kind of judgment I like, is to inflict the same amount of pain that someone put on me goes back on them. That's very different than what God does. He is patient, but there has to be judgment. We long for judgment. We long for the day when every tear is, is, is dry, when every bad thing ends. We all long for that. All people long for that, I think. Everybody, my mind's a little jumbled. So sit with me for a moment. I found I was preaching yesterday. Actually, yeah. I am struck by revelation. 
I'm such a want to know how it ends kind of guy. Let me know what happens so I can know who's right and who's wrong. But as we've been unpacking this, what I'm seeing is just my humanity. And over and over and over again, when people get power, they abuse power. When people get power, they abuse power. When people get power, they abuse power. That's just what we do. That is why we need him. And so in Revelation 16 and 17, all you see is you, you, you see a world drunk on power. You see people who are constantly compromising, who are aligning themselves with, with powers and systems and governments and also with their, own, with their own humanity. And the Lord is saying, stop it. We give our attention to all kinds of good things. Good things. Things that were never meant to be worshipped, though. Like, I mean, let's start small. With like your job, with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with your football team, with the success of a season, with a political party, with a political person. We put all these things in positions they should never be in. And those things always let us down. Because we're people. Has this been resonating with anyone else? I talked to you about this series. It is, I think, from listening to you, it has created so much hope. The revelation was given to quiet our fears, to renew our commitment, to sustain our vision. So we can be people who two weeks in a row bless a local election and bless every single person in it. And what was the blessing? Not for good, well, God, your kingdom come. We're becoming those kinds of people who are salt and who are light, who are speaking things out loud to people, drawing good things out of people, bringing good things to our city, actually maybe becoming who we're always meant to be, a city of refuge. If we're a city of refuge, who's allowed to be here? Everybody. Is that what a city of refuge is? Did you know what city of refuges were in the Old Testament? They were the places where people had, who had done bad things, unintentionally sometimes, and they could go to these cities and there was refuge. There's a place where they could be restored, where they could be rebuilt, where they could be forgiven, where they could be changed, and then they were allowed to go back out. That's our name. Do you know that? Pella, Iowa. City of refuge. What was it in the Bible? It was the first place that people who were persecuted ran to. People were being killed. They were being diminished. They were being destroyed. And people ran to a city called Pella to be restored, to restore, restored here, restored here, and they were sent back out into the world. That's our name. What a city we live in. That should change how I live. That should change how I see all people. Because as I read the Revelation, there, and today, there, there is judgment. I heard the last service. And it was said, this was said, and this is a hard thing. If you don't want Jesus in this life, do you think you'd want it in the next 
If you rage against Jesus in this life, my way, my things, my position, my money, my city, then why would I choose that him in the next life? I would choose my way forever, right? That makes sense to me. Last week, the deeds of the people are carried with them into eternity. How I live in this place, in this time, goes with me. So who has my attention? Who am I fixed on? A lamb who fights wearing his own blood? A person of sacrifice? Psalm 27. It's page 546. One thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I ask of the Lord, this, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, seek him in his temple, in the days where I cried out, how long, God? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I be lonely? How long do I have to wait? How long? In those days of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle. Our heads will be exalted above our enemies will enjoy his tabernacle of sacrifice and shouts of joy. We'll sing and we'll make music to the Lord. So in these days, Lord, we say, hear our voice when we call. Be merciful to us and answer us. May all of our hearts this day say, seek his face. Your Lord, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from us. Do not turn your servants away in anger. You have been our helper. Don't reject us nor forsake us. O oh God, our Savior, though perhaps a father or mother may forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O oh Lord. Lead me in a straight path. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. False witnesses rise up. They breathe out violence. So we as a people are confident of this. We'll see the goodness of the Lord 
in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I know I'm everywhere today. Hope you caught something. One final story, and I have a question for you to talk about. So I was reading, I, I heard someone talking the other day about, about Dr. King. And uh, there was this moment for Dr. Martin Luther King when he was not Dr. Martin Luther King at all. And uh, uh, here, I'll give a note. It was early in his ministry. He had been jailed for speeding. He had been a part of a boycott for a long time. and People were angry. So angry that he got up to 40 calls a day threatening his family. Perhaps he was saying, how long, O Lord? So Dr. King put on a suit. He made some coffee and he sat at his table. I heard in his biography that he was going to do business with God. This is what he wrote. At that moment, I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, my courage had all but gone. I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and I prayed. The words I spoke to God that midnight are vivid in my memory. He said, I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but I'm afraid. People are looking at me for leadership. If I stand before them without strength and courage, they're gonna falter. So he wrote, I'm at the end of my power. I have nothing left. I'm at the place where I cannot face it alone. In that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. Person asked the question the next. He said, what if Dr. King had a smartphone? Began with attention. Who has my attention? What has my attention? Person wanted to say, how many, how many people could be like Dr. King? How many people could stand for what is right? Could stand for justice? Could stand for truth and grace? Right? He was a nonviolent uh, activist, right? How many people could be like Dr. King? Is what he said. He said, but the problem is, is I got a smartphone. So he sat there and he had it out with God. In light of all these things, him crying out, how long? How much longer is this going to happen? And the Lord met him in the moment because he sat with him in his presence. Something about us. What has our attention? Can I sit with God long enough to find out what it is? When I'm in a place like this, can I worship? I used to sit in the back row, right back there. The door was closed. And I stood like this most of the time. But the Lord's been working in my heart.
It's a very vulnerable position to be in. Can we worship? Can we give him our attention with our hearts, with our minds, with our bodies, and then with our lives? Because if we do not, we didn't get to off it today. There is judgment on every other thing. It all fails. It all gets destroyed. One thing remains. That's it. And those who remain in him are with him forever. Can you imagine a place forever where there is no Jesus? Can you imagine a place forever where there is no love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? Can you imagine that place? You know, in uh, Revelation 17, end of 17, did you know evil starts to turn on itself? Demons fight demons. They don't like each other either. Can you imagine a place that you chose away from those things where at the end of the day, yes, I'm away from God and I'm in a place where everything is attacking itself? No. Final thought. Conversation. A couple weeks back, I talked to a man named Curtis. He sits in the back row at eight o'clock and he had a friend. He had a friend and he had known him for a while, like 10 years. And he said, the Lord woke him up, middle of the night, kind Dr. King, and said, write him today. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day. He's gonna say yes if you ask him. He laid there in bed. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But he thought of his friend. He loves his friend. He does not want judgment for his friend. So guess what he did? He texted him. And guess what he said back? Yes! What do I do? He's like, oh, I don't know. Found a church for him. Guess what he went and did that day? He got baptized that day. Because he had urgency. He had developed relationship with his friend. And he heard the Lord in the quiet of the nights with no distractions say, this is the day of salvation. Go tell him about it. And he did. And now he will be with our God forever, worshiping in the heavens. Can I get a yes? We have a neighborhood conversation. And then we're going to worship. Slide 11. Would you share with another the kind of worshiper you are in, in this room? We're starting small. What kind of worshiper, what kind of attention do you give in this room every week? Good news, if you're like, man, I could worship in a new way. Good news, you get a chance today. So go ahead, have a conversation. The band will come up and we'll move into worship.